Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Happy May. It's uh, May the Wine Be With You. (laughs) Welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, Advanced Sommelier, and on the track for Master Sommelier, got that exam coming up July 22nd. It's the uh, MS Theory exam. Uh, I'm super excited. Um, a little nervous as I see uh, what's ahead of me. But, uh, of course, lots of beverages to, uh, to study, um, to taste and spit. And it's always fun to dive into a new uh, Appalachian or American viticulture area. And uh, today is no different. We're going to be jumping down to Mendocino, uh, part of the Anderson Valley, and speak with a, uh, a very tenured winemaker. His name is Matt Parrish, and he's actually hails from Australia. He's uh, been traveling around the world making wine and worked with some, some amazing companies. Of course, also some iconic California wineries. So, Matt Parrish, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, thanks very much, Christopher. And uh, good luck for those exams. And uh, <laughs> you know, uh, happy Saturday, everyone. Yeah, happy Saturday. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased. Uh, you guys sent me up a bottle of wine. And uh, when I got this across my desk, uh, I was very intrigued. You've worked for some of the... Um, the most iconic wineries in uh, the United States and around the world. Let's talk about that. When did you, when was the first wine you ever made? Yeah, so it sort of dates back to, well, I've been making wine for about 20 years, but uh, it sort of kicked off in, in New Zealand where my parents have got a small Pinot Noir and Chardonnay vineyard. And that's kind of where the, the buzz came from initially. And then, uh, so I went to university and did the studies and studied, uh, uh, ended up with a master's of viticulture and winemaking. Wow. And uh, with that, it was sort of the era of the flying winemaker. And yes. Growing up in New Zealand, the first thing I wanted to do was take off, you know, not because it's not, it's not a great place to live, but there's lots of great places to see. And so for many years, I was a flying winemaker working in France and Italy and Australia and back in New Zealand and yeah, pretty much backpack and and uh, every six months sort of crossing the uh, the hemisphere line. So that was really cool. So that's where it started, and um, and after that, <clears throat> about fifteen years ago, I was working in Australia consulting and uh, Constellation, which is one of the large wine companies or global wine companies. <laughs> one of them now. Yeah, I work for them. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So that was some, that was a cool experience. You know, those are the big brands like Robert Mondavi and, and, and other things. So that was there, and then that led into um, me joining uh, Treasury Wine Estates as their chief winemaker, and that's sort of like Stags Leap and Beringer, so lots of iconic brands again. And uh, and then from there, I ended up being sort of the international chief winemaker for a startup called NakedWines.com, and uh, helped them establish that around the world and uh and then it was time to sort of get back to you know hands-on winemaking and that's that's where we find ourselves today at lula cellars in anderson valley so that's kind of uh 
A quick whiz around for you, Christopher. Well, that is an amazing. I looked at your website, um, or just looked you up on the internet, Matt Parrish, P A R I S H, and uh, tall, handsome man. Obviously, I'm thinking when you were a young jet setting around the world, and what was it, 20 sub in the 19, oh, the early 2000s, life was pretty good. That's right, yeah. Uh, except for post 9/11 here, um, but you must have had a great time. Now I'm curious. Uh, have you traveled the world prior to that? Because obviously you're from New Zealand, and I said Australia, but you worked in Australia, so that's why I was confused. You've you've traveled um, just in the winemaking sense, or did you take a, a walkabouts or early on? Yeah, so I used to do like you know the harvest period is about four months, so it was typically four months on doing you know, harvest somewhere, and then I'd sort of do a couple of months in between where I'd travel around. So for example, if I was in France. You know, I, I was working in the south of France. I tripped up through the, you know, the north, through the Rhone and up through Champagne. And, oh, yeah, okay. so I sort of bolt on a couple of months either side until I ran out of money and needed to <laughs> basically get back to work. So it was sort of living on a shoestring, but uh, it was a cool time, you know. Yeah, we no can... responsibilities. You just need bread and cheese. You got the wine. Um, really fun. <laughs> yeah, a lot of baguettes, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. So um, uh, you, you ended up in Anderson Valley, which seems to be a – it's. Uh, an older value, I think it was what established in uh, I want to say the sixties, fifties. I mean, as far as it yeah, goes further back. It's been, yeah, obviously there's been activities around, but the wine sort of wine really was started off in the eighties, you know. Eighties. Um, but uh, yeah, there's definitely lots of different sort of activities up there. But wine, I, I would say the eighties is really where it kicked in. Was Rotor Estate up there in Anderson Valley? Yeah, they have a yep. They have a property up there. Um, there's there's quite a few you know well known names, but it's a small valley. You know, it's it's not like Sonoma or Napa. Uh, it's actually you know still remains pretty small, and we kind of like it that way. But um, fortunately, unfortunately, you know the people people that know uh, good Pinot Noir know that the Anderson is one of the best places to, to get that from. So it's becoming more and more popular and, and well-known. Well, congratulations. It's a great place. Had you been there prior to uh, this stint at Lula or you're this new position, I should say? No, I mean, look, I've always had a bent for Pinot Noir and, um, and there's a couple of places like I, I love uh, Pinot from Oregon. Obviously, I like it from New Zealand. And Anderson Valley was another place that I, I was always fascinated by Pinot Noir from that, 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 that AVA. And so I wanted to work there, and the opportunity just came up when I was um, uh, sitting out after my time with sort of the larger companies. It was just perfect timing. And so, you know, Lula was established um, about 10 years ago by a group of wine professionals and wine enthusiasts. It really is that small artisanal winery. It's got a you know a little cellar door. It's nothing flashy. It's got 20 acres of estate um, vineyards. Um, so it's small and it's 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 real sort of hands on. So each each lot we make about 12 different wines, but they they range between sort of 100 and 500 cases um, oh, wow. per, per wine. So oh, geez. nothing like I used to do, but that's exactly <laughs> why I'm doing it. You know, I'm curious, as you've traveled around the world and you've made, you've hosted different variety grapes and probably blends, I'm sure, um, is there a grape or, or two that is more reflective of the terroir than Pinot Noir, you think? No, I think Pinot Noir really is it. I mean, I drink a lot of Barolos and Barbaresco, <laughs> probably my favorite, and I think they... They do, but yeah, I think Pinot. That's why that's why people like myself uh, love it because it's so responsive to the terroir, 
or, you know, where it's growing and it's so responsive to how you grow it and how you make it. Um, so I think that's the cool thing about Pinot Noir. And um, as a vine whisperer, I mean, you uh, you are now in, entrenched with this uh, this uh, position. You will be tending 20 acres of vines and, and consulting, or do you have a great team behind you? How's that working? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I do have my own brand, um, Matt Parrish, and then I do Lula is a like a I'm the winemaker for Lula, but I do a bit of consulting both here in California and abroad. Um, so it's just part of a mix. So, but you know, the Lula part is a is is a strong focus for me. So, um, but I do have I have an assistant in the vineyard and I have an assistant in the winery. Um, particularly at harvest time, and then I have someone doing a little bit of social media for me. <laughs> oh, very good. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's good. Yeah, exactly. It's I'm, we're too old for some of that stuff. Speaking with Matt Parrish, who is the winemaker, the new winemaker for Lula. It's uh, Patterson Vineyard Pinot Noirs, which I have in my glass, um, Matt. And I got to say. Uh, you know, I think there's a little um, uh, disarming when it comes to California Pinot because it's so delicious. It's nice and ripe, and it's and it's got medium plus body. It's not some esoteric Burgundy that got to sort of work through the acidity and find the tannin and all that, and and sort of have that structure. This is more generous, and I think it's very pleasant because I don't have to think about it as much. I just really enjoy it. That's right. Yeah, I think you've described that one perfectly. So. Well, just jump back one step. So we do about twelve wines, of which half a Pinot Noir. So we do, you know, obviously we're based in Anderson Valley. We're based in what's called the deep end, which is Philo, which is the cooler end of uh, the valley. And um, so we do a, a number of Pinots from Anderson Valley and off the property. And then we do two Pinots out of an area called Comchi, which is uh, further towards the coast, but back in a little bit into the rolling hills. And, uh, and so we make a Peterson Pinot Noir, a single vineyard, and a Costa Pinot Noir, which is another single vineyard. And uh, not many people know about Comchi. There's not many vineyards there, but the quality is outstanding. Um, but across the board, you know, with Pinots, the idea is to be elegant, but have the sort of plushness. And I agree, we, you want to sort of disconnect the brain, you know, where it's just it's nice and approachable and, and easy drinking, and it's as complex as you want to make it, you know. Right. Um, and, and and that's the, that's the Peterson. And it's done extremely well. It's very sort of... Uh, uh, up front and as I said plush and and it's just sort of winning medals after medals at the moment which is which is great you know for the winery and for the, the club and everything like that uh, well obviously uh, it's been a label that's been around and, and Pinot Noir in Mendocino Valley is one of those um, we'll call it a, a stalwart in the in the um value category, right? I mean, it's you've never been able to uh, command the kind of Napa prices, snow prices, and that wasn't the important thing. You were really still trying to get the name out of there, Anderson Valley, and and, and have, uh, you know, quality wines. But you said they're all boutique. Um, I'm curious, as a Pinot winemaker, when you think about color, um, does color mean anything in Pinot to you? Is it, are the anthocyanins important for Pinot? They talk about a thin skin grape, but this is pretty colorful. Yeah, and in Anderson Valley, you do get a, quite a range. So you have some lighter Pinots and then some richer, darker Pinots. Peterson uh, would be the darker, richer sort of yeah. end of the spectrum. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's about what looks good. I mean, I always come back to the adage that if it looks good, people are going to smell it, and if it smells good, they're going to taste it, and if it tastes good, they're going to drink it. So I, I think it's about a looking attractive in the glass. Um but Pinot hasn't got the depth of color and density of color that Cabernet has. Right. But I think that's one of the things that separates it and makes it attractive, you know. 
Okay, uh, well, that's a great perspective. Um, so how many different wines do you think you've produced in your 20-year span as a flying around jet set <laughs> winemaker and consultant? Uh, I'd, I'd hate to think. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I you work in both hemispheres, right? Uh, northern and Southern. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 25. I think I'm going into my 26th harvest. So, um, and, and it is kind of an, an intuitive um, craft, right? So you kind of learn from your mistakes and you learn from the things you do well. And each year you, you theoretically get better. You hopefully get better. So, wow. Did you just say you um, made, have you made mistakes in winemaking, you think? I mean, I'll, no. absolutely. Yeah. You made <laughs> some calls. But, uh, I've been very good at covering them up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what a treat. So um, how you said you have 12 expressions there uh, at Lula. And uh, is there a tasting room? You said it's just a cellar door. Is there, is there a website people can find more information about? Yeah, so Lula, it, it, as I said, it's based in Philo. So Anderson Valley, it starts as you come up from San Francisco. It's about two, two and a half hours north of San Francisco. You come up the 101, and then you shoot across on what they call Highway 128. And you, it, you, at the start of Anderson Valley, it's the Boonville um, Township, and then it goes through to Philo. And so we're in Philo, so it's about half an hour from Boonville. And uh, there's a tasting room there. Um, and basically all the wines are sold through our, our you know, cellar uh, um our wine club. Sure, right. So we don't sell anything through distribution. It's all through wine club. And a couple of local restaurants stock our wine as well. Oh well, that's uh, that's a nice little niche you've got, and it's sure it's manageable and keeps it personal. That must be nice to get back uh, to actually hands-on winemaking with a smaller, more intimate area where you can be focused. Um, I'm sure as a winemaker, you have a great uh, attention span. And I'm just curious: has the app technology caught up to us? Can you have an app that shows you how many barrels are going and fermentations, and maybe what yeast are in there? Is it all? <laughs> you got Star Trek uh, winemaking yet? Yeah, I do. Actually, I, I was showing some people. I was, I was overseas a couple of weeks ago in Portugal, and I was showing some winemakers. Yeah, I've got everything that's on, you know, an app on my phone that shows all of the lots at Lula um, back in California. So, yeah, I can see what's happening. I can even write work orders from wherever. Yeah, it's all pretty cool. I, um, you know, it's probably not as space age as a lot of things get uh, around the Bay Area, but uh, as far as winemaking yeah, goes, it, it, it is. Feels cool. That's really yeah, neat. Exactly. Well, Matt Parrish, um, thank you so much. You've got a forty-five dollar bottle of Peterson Vineyard Pinot Noir from Mendocino, Anderson Valley. The winery is Lula. You're in Philo, and uh, you can check it out. Is it lulawine.com? Give me a website. Yeah, it's lulasellers.com. So L-U-L-A-C-E-L-L-A-R-S. Fantastic. Well, my friend, uh, thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you down there, and uh, uh, cheers to you and Lula. Thanks, Matt Parrish. Yeah, cool. Hey, folks, be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Putting America first and holding the powerful accountable. Sean Hannity, weekdays 6 to 9 p.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round two. And I got two uh, fine gentlemen in the studio uh, with two topics today, actually a host of topics. It's called a bunch of topics, we should say, and it's called asparagus. Did you know Washington State grows a heck of a lot of asparagus? And I've got the doctor of asparagus himself, 
Dr. Alan Schreiber and uh, sommelier, uh, wine educator for Tom Douglas's restaurants, is Zach Chabal. Both these cats are here to talk about what's uh, green and grows in Washington State. It's asparagus. Gentlemen, Alan and Zach, welcome to Happy Hour. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Right on. Uh, well, this is fun. Um, we're very fortunate to live in the Pacific Northwest. We have so much bounty. There's uh, wine, there's beer, there's uh, cider, there's coffee, there's uh, seafood, there's beaches. You can go shoot something. You can get some roadkill. You can catch something in the ocean. Um, but we've got great fruits and vegetables. Um, how, well, how, doctor, how, how can we have such a great heritage of uh, agriculture here? We have some of the best growing conditions in, in the world. Um, for what's worth, uh, eastern Washington is the warmest uh, tempered agriculture in the world. So we're at the right latitude. We've got a, ran- a range of microclimates all across the state that allows us to grow you know, radish seed in Mount Vernon, wine, uh, wine grapes in the Yakima Valley, potatoes in the Columbia Basin, and wine in Walla Walla. And onions and asparagus and cherries and pears and uh, what else did I didn't we grow? Hops. Oh, cranberries. Well, hops. Yeah, nice. Washington produces over a thousand different crops. We're one of the most diverse areas of agriculture in the world, and there's over fifty crops that we produce more than any other place in the in the United States. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And Zach. Um, Welcome to the show. Uh, you serve a lot of wine. You serve a lot of asparagus. You're a restaurant guy. How how often do you really worry about the asparagus on the plate to pair something with that wine or with the wine with that meal? Well, you know, Chris, I think you probably know this too, that there's this, this misconception, I think, that asparagus is one of these foods that you just can't pair wine with. And I think, you know, asparagus, and, and I'm sure Alan will have more to say about this, has in some ways gotten a, a bad rap in a few different directions. To me, I, I feel like with something like asparagus, the the key is if it's prepared properly, it's in, it's extremely food. Uh, sorry, wine friendly. It's just if you it's don't food prepa- friendly too. If it's, it's prepared properly, yes, canned sure. stuff, no way. <laughs> but if it's if you don't prepare it well, if it's you know, I, I, like my personal opinion, if you just kind of steam it and throw it on a plate, then yeah, it's going to kind of taste like a you're sort of a generic green vegetable, and that is a little hard <laughs> to pair with with wine. But you know, we we throughout the company we you know, prepare asparagus uh, in a lot of different ways, um, serve it, you know, hot, cold, holidays, in between. Yeah. lemon, charred, um, grilled. Yeah, turned into, acid, into uh, hummus, onion. like we'll be trying later. Bacon. Um, that, that's always key. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, is, is asparagus the ideal pairing for every wine? No, but no food is. That's that's the whole point. But... Uh, potato chips, maybe. French fries. <laughs> I don't know. So, doctor, let's talk about, Dr. Allen, let's talk about uh, how long has Washington been one of the primary states for production of asparagus? I have a picture in my office where they're planting asparagus in 1904 down around the, the Tri-Cities. So uh, this is one of the, it's certainly one of the oldest uh, asparagus-growing places in, in the United States. So we've got a you know long, long history of growing asparagus. And, you know, currently it's one of the 50 crops that we're the primary producer. Of. Okay, so I understand that asparagus just starts from the ground, and that stalk is the one thing. It has got no branches, there's no flowers, there's no leaves per se. It's just got the cone. Actually, tell us, is there a stalk and there's a cone? Tell, what's the uh, entomology? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have said any of what you just said about asparagus. It has all those things, but... You're thinking about when you harvest it. Yes. It's not. So, you know, asparagus is the first crop of the year that's harvested in, in Washington. It's just a, it's a, a shoot that comes in, and you, you cut that. Uh, when we cut it, we cut it one inch below the, 
one inch below the surface, then trim trim the butt and the, oh, the packing packing interesting. shed. But after harvest, is that mechanically harvest? Uh, every every spear is harvested by hand. Jeez. One person reaches down to each spear with his left hand and cuts it with the right hand. Unless you're three ninety nine is a deal. Uh, three <laughs> three ninety nine is a steal if you knew the amount of hand labor that went into this. It's the most labor intensive crop we grow in. A uh, higher percentage of the of production is is labor than any other crop that we grow. But after harvest, those spears are left uncut, and they grow up, and they have branches, and it goes into a fern. Seed seed mode? It goes goes into the fern stage, and and then it will have uh, cladophils, which are called needles, which are technically their their leaves. So a lot of asparagus, asparagus is something that is dioecious, which means it has separate male and female plants. And so in the old varieties uh you would have males and females but now they have uh and and they would the females would Do you have see seed. the asparagus on that gal <laughs> but um the uh but now increasingly we're planting all male hybrids and so the plants that we grow <laughs> in the fields are because they're more handsome leaner oh, prettier i get it they produce more than female plants because <laughs> female plants put a lot of effort into reproductive growth Oh, my goodness. That is fantastic. It's like, uh, do they get along? I mean, is there some tug of war? Is there, uh, are there bi, what do you call it, uh, hermaphroditic uh, asparagus? Uh, you know, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but there's something called super males. Super males? Super males. And they've got an extra male chromosome. <laughs> so I wouldn't say they're, they're bi, but Check we- Check other? But we definitely have some kind of transgender asparagus. Really? Yes. That's exciting. Are yes. they? Yeah. Okay. So, what's? Tell me about the the pieces. How do I describe asparagus? Do we? Have, I thought you were gonna bring in one. Were you gonna bring some asparagus so I could see? We could talk about. What's the top called? The cone? Flower head? It's it's the tip. The tip. Just the, the tip. tip. Okay. So tip on one end, the butt on the other end, and the the rest is called the shaft. All right. And um, how does it take a lot of water? Asparagus and do they grow? They don't grow in bunches, right? They actually grow like wheat, right? I mean, everything just takes over. This is hilarious. This is like uh, East Side meets West Side. Here, it's it's funny to hear this um, conversation. I know um, they don't grow in bunches. They um, no, they they do. We had to put rubber bands around. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, they, they grow from a, they grow they grow from a, a crown. You know, underground. They call, they call it a ring. They, they they grow from a crown that's uh, eight inches underground, and so every asparagus spear that you eat had uh, eight or nine inches of a spear left in in the soil. Wow! Yeah, it's so the tip of the iceberg. Yep. yep. <laughs> so- Here's another interesting thing: when we plant that, oh, crown, just one more. <laughs> yeah, when we plant that crown, that that crown weighs two ounces. Uh, we'll take a bed out at year fourteen, and that crown will weigh maybe a hundred pounds. Holy smokes! Yep. Interesting. So very, it's, it's kind of like the uh, that tree of life, the asparagus of life on uh, Avatar, right? All that energy. I I just don't get your analogy. <laughs> Have you seen blue that? asparagus? I haven't. Does <laughs> um, so it take a lot of water? Because how come some th- stalks of asparagus or shafts are thin and some are thick? That is a, a great question. Boom. So they. Uh, asparagus is growing like like sandy alkaline soil, which is what we have in eastern Washington, and it grows where we we're in the desert. We have seven eight inches of rain a year there, but we will put on about twenty six inches of water during the course of the year, almost none of which is during harvest. Uh, the only reason we put water on during harvest is to cool it down uh, cool if it gets it too down. hot to keep the quality up. Um, 
And what was your other question? I, I, I got which water it takes, so you can. I, I told you how much water. It right, takes. but uh, why is some the variation okay, of yes, uh, circumference? Yes. Okay, so that crown that's underground is it's throwing up spears, and there are several factors that um, dictate the diameter. One is the age of the crown, how long it's been harvested, how stressful it is, and what variety it is. So there's a lot of different factors on that that cause that. Different, so different varieties will have different spears. There are different size spears. There are there are some varieties that will. Okay, so, so like the, a follicle kind of thing. The, no, no. <laughs> um, there's there are, there are four sizes of asparagus generally. It's called jumbo, large, standard, or medium, and then small. No venti. No. Oh, no. That's a that's jumbo a large. So you went backwards, or is it the other way around? No. So jumbo is really the small ones. Jumbo is large. Okay. It's the biggest diameter, and then large, and then medium. Or so does jumbo take more water than the yes. medium? Yes. And is that at different times but, but, of the, of but the some season? Some variety. Some varieties will produce more jumbo. Some varieties produce smaller. And is height size. typically the same of above ground? So they're cut every day, and we cut when there are ten inches. It's like a mushroom. It grows overnight. Uh, It'll grow eight nine inches in a day when it's warm. What? Yeah, it, it grows very very fast. And the um, when it's cool out, it'll take maybe two to three days to get to full height. But when it's warm, it's going to be eighty five degrees, and that asparagus will grow. It'll be you won't see anything in a spot, and twenty four hours later there'll be a ten inch spear that that will Dang, cut. Dang! Wow. So it needs to be at least seven inches to be cut, and not more than ten inches. Okay, so otherwise you got to put the seven one inches back, like the you just don't cut it if it's under seven inches. Oh, so these these harvesters are that good. They're, they're and great. are they pretty uniform then? The spears, yeah, uh, they're very uh, very uniform in height because we go through every day and cut them. They're not allowed to get more than ten inches tall, oh, and boy. if it is, they will they will cut it and trim it to ten inches because they have a box on their side that doesn't allow a spear to go in that's over ten inches long. How about that? I love this. This is the fail-safe. And uh, who knew? How many um, uh, t pounds of asparagus per f hectare, per foot, or per square meter? How are they planted? By just a... Okay, so you'll, you'll plant about 25,000 crowns to the, to the acre, and a modern, high-yielding, intensely managed uh, field can get up to 12,000 pounds. Um, if you're not producing 4,000 pounds, it'll probably come out of production. So 50 pounds per crown. Five pounds per crown. Well, I can do the math in my head. <laughs> well, we've got uh, pour some wine. Maybe we're going to lubricate those brain cells. That's a lot of knowledge on the asparagus tip. And speaking to Dr. Alan uh, Schreiber and uh, some of the extraordinaires, actually, Paul, hey, we're going to do a little pretzels and baba ganoush or hummus. Stick around, folks. We're talking asparagus and wine right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. The Commute with Carlson, live and local, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m., Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, folks. Hey, welcome back. Time for round three. There's three of us. There's three pretzels and two bottles of wine and uh, a lot of talk about asparagus. Did you know? So asparagus in Washington State is, do you know by which crop, which number, by tonnage or by value? Is uh, marijuana one or grapes are one, right? <laughs> no. What's it? Cherries? Uh, apples. Apples. Uh, of course, apples. But I think, I think in time, cannabis will, will become the most valuable crop. We hope so. Well, and, keep, I, and I, I think that is inflated. And I think if you... Um, 
probably put the black market in with uh, legal cannabis. It may be number one. But, oh, for sure. But yeah. the last numbers I heard put uh, retail value of cannabis being the third most valuable crop, but that's an unfair comparison because the others are based on farm gate value. But clearly cannabis, oh, right. is, cannabis is on the way up. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we can have another show where we think about pairing milkshakes. And <laughs> uh, we, have a, we have a pretzel here from the Brave Horse Tavern, part of the Tom Douglas Empire. Zach, tell us about this pretzel. Yeah, so this is uh, it's 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 the foundation of the of the restaurant in a lot of ways. Uh, it's been uh, it's been on the menu since day one when we opened down in South Lake Union. And um, what I think is really exciting is um, the pretzels, as Christopher was mentioning during our, our break, are delicious on their own, but if you uh, if you come to Brave Horse Tavern um, or you get pretzels for an event or whatever, there, we have a whole host of uh, various toppings and dips. And uh, the one that we brought today is our asparagus hummus, um, which is made with uh, Washington asparagus from our friends at Crawford Farms in Prosser, very near our farm, um, where most of the rest of our produce comes from. We don't grow asparagus ourselves uh, because as Alan was mentioning it's a it's a it's definitely something you kind of have to focus on, uh, or at least one you can't you can't necessarily have a sort of uh, you have to be a specialist. I think it requires a lot of uh, specialized knowledge and skill and technique. And uh, for us, we're it's like we're making to, a case of wine if you're doing it at home. Yeah, it's you might want to you could maybe do it at home, but you you don't want to make twenty cases for yourself. You kind of want to let someone else handle that. So fortunately, in Washington, we have lots of options for for wine and for asparagus. Well, uh, both are fantastic, and I've never been to Brave Horses. It opens seven days a week, mm -hmm. and they serve great beers and wines and spirits and yeah, pretzels definitely. and. Uh, beer and spirits, kind of the the centerpiece, uh, small wine program, um, and then I would say kind of we like to think of it as sort of elevated bar food. So, pretzels and burgers <laughs> and wings. Uh, one of my favorite things is the uh, tots and shots, which is a big old bowl of. Well, that's uh, elevated. Seriously? <laughs> well, okay, elevated. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, you Where's feel pretty bar? good afterwards. So, you know, a bowl of tater tots, some Jello shots for you and your friends. That's always fun. <laughs> Wow. We haven't had asparagus-flavored jello shots yet, but maybe I'll talk to uh, to our chef there and see what we can do. Okay. Well, um, that aside, uh, would you make it savory? Yeah. We might, yeah, I think it would be to. sweet. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, fun idea, actually. Maybe a vodka savory shot, maybe like yeah. a sorbet. It's a palate cleanser. There you go. Although, let's cleanse our palate with asparagus. Right? We can do that. Tell me about white asparagus, doctor. Um, Is that albino? Is that what we call it? Is no. It a lack of pigment? So or Washington produces almost no white asparagus because just culturally in in this country it's uh, it's been a, a green asparagus country and the reason for the for that is the first farmers that grew asparagus in this country were from Italy where they grow green asparagus white asparagus is grown in central and northern Europe and so you know if it would have been Germans that started we might have been eating white asparagus but we're a green asparagus country. But there is there's one field of white asparagus. We do have a big Italian uh, heritage, actually, in eastern Washington, right? Yes. Well, yeah. we do have a French town. Well, I, there, are a lot of, there, there has been historically a lot of Italian asparagus growers, particularly in the Walla Walla area. But the way it's grown is they, they mound the soil up. Uh, okay. Butage, so, they call that uh, in uh, viticulture, well, right? Blanching is what you do in the vegetable world. And... Um, you uh, and you have to basically dig each spear out by hand and out of the soil and cut it. So it's it's super labor intensive. No okay. three ninety nine uh, white. It says asparagus. you put ads on Craigslist. I imagine um, you must have a very passionate, compassionate, hardworking, dedicated person that is good at their craft. Because you, if you if you're not good at it, it must be just totally tedious. Because it sounds meticulous. Well, the the people that cut. My asparagus is from a, a particular family, the uh, Mendoza family, and 
they've been with me since 1999, and uh, Mendoza's—they're—they're they're very good. Is it in the wrist? Uh, it's in the back. It's in the back because oh. you got a. When we're cutting asparagus, it's uh, the only thing you want to see is asses and elbows. It's they're bending down, uh, cutting it, and they got to bend back up when they get a handful and trim it and put it in the box. But also, uh, asparagus is on the piece rate, and so it's it's hard work. But uh, we do a number of things on our farm. But the folks who cut asparagus make more money than anybody else. It's on the piece rate, and they work hard, cut hard, and they they make, I like that. They make a lot of they make a lot of money. I bet. And uh, it's always good. How long is the season for asparagus? So in a typical year, it'll be it'll start around the first week of April, and it will go to mid to late June, depending on the weather. Right on. And it's perfect for grilling, um, sautéing. It's good chilled. It's good uh, hot. It's good with bacon. It's good with pretty much everything. It's kind of the bread outside of potato. It's the non-gluten bread of, uh, well, I guess that could be a carrot. What am I talking about? Asparagus uh, hummus. This is really fantastic. Is there a recipe? Does, does Tom share his recipes? Because that is really yum. You, did you agree, Doc? Yeah, it's it's very good, and I'm I'm surprised how much of all of the asparagus flavor uh, comes through. It's it's really good. Obviously, that's made with uh, f- fresh asparagus. Of course, yeah, <laughs> very good. Um, not frozen, right? Because asparagus doesn't freeze well, it's, very it's well. It's not from Mexico. We'll say uh, that. Yes, and uh, I'm I'm curious. There is a there's a little um, uh, is it a anthocyan or is it a phenol or uh, um, the word you're looking for is, uh, you know, there's terpene. An- well, anthocyanins, yeah, in, in there, and there's a lot of antioxidants in here. In fact, um, there what's are, the asparagus smell? What do you call that? that? The asparagus smell. Well, the asparagus smell that you're talking about is a mercaptic molecule. Mercaptin, that's okay. Mercaptic, uh, mercaptic molecule in there. All right, because there's geraniol, which right is another molecule that makes things smell like flowers or geraniums and in certain things, fruits and lychees and things like that. Uh, and I know that, of course, anyone's eating asparagus has probably thought about, wow, it, I, this reminds me of my dinner at some point. This is really good. Does uh, is there some way to the body doesn't digest that right? It just excretes it. Yes. Um, so um, asparagus takes an ex- uh, uh, abnormally large amount of sulfur uh, for whatever reason, um, and the you people have a people most people have a gene in their body that will break that down, um, and it's uh, and it makes it lipophilic. And it, or lip, lipophobic, and it's excreted out of. Did you say lipophobic? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Asparagus lipophobic. Yeah. So, um, and so, but you know, some people do not have that gene, and so they, uh, the the gene actually, everyone has a gene that breaks it down. The question is, what well, everyone has a gene that you can smell it. Ah. So that's the question. Right. So everybody's urine smells. Is there a super male smeller? You know that. I don't know. I've never been asked that question. <laughs> you stumped him, Chris. I did. Uh, very good. Uh, hey, Zach, you bought another wine. First of all, that Treveri Blanc de Blanc is delicious. That is Chardonnay, or is yeah, it? Yeah, 100% Chardonnay. Okay. Treveri is a winery in the western part of the Yakima Valley uh, that focuses uh, solely on um, sparkling wine. The Grebes, right? The Grebes, yep. yes. Uh, wonderful um, people. You also brought, speaking of geraniol, uh, yeah. a Gewurz Yeah, so I was uh, in, I had the opportunity to travel in Alsace um, this past year, and uh, where asparagus is a is a huge part of the cuisine, um, especially during this time of year. Um, and uh, because I was long before I knew I was going to be doing this show, I was fascinated by by that question of um, 
you know, why do people consider asparagus so difficult to pair with wine? And I talked to a lot of uh, winemakers in Alsace and grape growers, and, you know, they all said, you know, we don't worry about it. But in Alsace, the really traditional uh, preparation is with hollandaise sauce, as uh, as you mentioned earlier, Christopher. Wow. And so uh, at Lola, where we do uh, the same Crawford Farms asparagus, but with the dill hollandaise, um, sort of a more traditional European preparation, um, this wine, uh, Gewürztraminer from Analemma, which is down in the Columbia Gorge, I think it's a beautiful pairing where you are getting a little more of the aromatics of the wine. You're working with a little more of that aromatic, slightly vegetal quality of asparagus that I think can be kind of super a delicious too. I think yeah. asparagus can be um, very rich on the palate mm-hmm. at some point because it's. And when you say sulfur, Doc, is the sulfur um, an antioxidant or a, a antimicrobial in the in the green? It, it is not. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually not sure. Uh, what it does other than it gives the asparagus it, its flavor. I'm not exactly sure what it's doing in there other than it gives asparagus its, its flavor. Okay, and Zach, um, this is really a cool pairing. First of all, that's a delicious bottle of wine. Gewürztraminer, this one is a little beguiling because it has acidity. It yes. actually has a nice little line of acidity that's masked by the sweetness and also the richness of the lychee pear floral notes of this um, beautiful wine. Uh, um, it really goes well. Yeah. I think that's something that, I'm sorry, I'm talking to the side of my, I'm doing what I'm telling my guests now. There we go, Zach. So I got, I got a question yes. for, for Zach. Um, my favorite pairing for wine with asparagus, first of all, is white, and I like Sauvignon Blanc with asparagus. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious uh, what you think about that, and what wine would you personally pick to drink with asparagus? Well, so I think Sauvignon Blanc is another great option. Again, kind of looking at wines with a little bit of an aromatic quality and a, a little bit of a sort of a vegetal grassy note, which Sauvignon Blanc often has as well. To me, Here's the reason I, I default towards something like Gewürztraminer is, as Christopher was mentioning, I want a wine that's got a little bit more body because I find that, as he was saying, for a vegetable, asparagus has a, a palate weight and a presence that I think kind of necessitates a little bit of a richer wine. Ah, I love that. We're going to have more conversation right after this for our fourth and final segment. Stick around. we got more with Asparagus on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalier, Christopher Chan. All right, uh, we've had a bunch of fun on this, and uh, we will continue stalking the story of asparagus, uh, looking for the the tip of information. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Uh, I've got Dr. Alan Schreiber, who is... Uh, what's your title? Um, could be asparagus grower. Could be executive director of the Washington Asparagus Commission. Okay. Um, we'll try. So we'll spin that, that uh, bottle. Uh, here's some facts. 21 million pounds were, were harvested in 2016, and that turns out to $36 million for growers and packers. Is that, uh, is that a small chunk of, of the, the, the United States poundage or uh, yield harvest? Um, this year we'll probably produce 24 million pounds and that will probably be about half of all the asparagus produced in the United States. Interesting half, huh? I want. Mm-hmm. I understand like Michigan or Minnesota or someplace grows asparagus. Michigan produces almost as much as Washington. Yeah. Ca- California produces a, a little bit and then there's 
pockets here and there. Right, right. Um, now, Michigan, I don't think of them as a high desert, perfect climate. I think of them mosquitoes and rain and lakes and mud and anthills. I think we were at the same place. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I would agree with that. Exactly. Uh, there, I'm not disparaging. Um, disparaging? You're not disparaging? Dis, dis, disparaging uh, <laughs> Michigan, but their, their yields are, are lower. They, they have a lot more disease pressure. It's not as ideal of conditions as Washington. Washington yeah. has some near-perfect um, condition. So asparagus evolved around the Mediterranean coast, and ah, we have kind of a Mediterranean climate with alkaline soils. So it's we have some conditions that are very reminiscent of where asparagus came from. Excellent. If people want to learn more about asparagus, if they haven't had enough, if they had another fill, where can they go? Do you have a website? Well, they can go to the Washington Asparagus website, and you can get the recipe for this hummus there. Is it there. Asparagus? No, it's just, if you go to Washington Asparagus, it'll come up. Okay. Uh, Dr. Alan Schreiber, what a treat. Uh, I really had a lot of fun. I really learned a lot about it, and hopefully I can regurgitate it at some cocktail party, if not on the air. Uh, Zach, Jabal, you've got two great pairings here, pal. I think that uh, pretzel first is just deliciously chewy and satisfying um, anytime. And uh, I can't wait to take my road trip tonight to Walla Walla. I'll be chewing on that thing. Uh, but the hummus is fantastic. The uh, recipe is on the website at Tom Douglas Restaurants. And uh, tell us again which wines you paired today. So we have the Blanc de Blanc from uh, Treveri Cellars in the Acma Valley. And then we have a Gewürztraminer from Analemma, uh, which is down in the Columbia Gorge. What about a red wine? Do you have a red wine idea? Is it I... Chinon? Well, you know, from here in Washington, actually g going with that idea, I do like Cabernet Franc, um, something, again, a little on the on the vegetal side. I've also found that, uh, well, there's not a lot of it produced here in Washington. Um, I think that you can kind of go back to this Italian roots of our of our asparagus, and, and something like a Barbera is a really nice pairing as well. Um, it Just a, a variety that tends to do well with some of these kind of brighter, more vegetal flavors. But, but I do kind of opt more towards whites and sparkling wines with asparagus uh, when asked to pair with it. And you are uh, working on the floor at... Uh, one of the restaurants, or you do you just uh, actually you know, helping train? <laughs> I, I mostly now focus on staff education in Richmond and training, um, but if you hang around the Dahlia Lounge long enough, you'll probably find me. I see. Excellent. Uh, website that uh, people can find some of the uh, uh, Tom, Tom Douglas, Douglas Empire. Com, oh, man. not Tom, Tom Douglas, Douglas Empire. <laughs> no, they, <laughs> I don't know. If, I think Tom Douglas Empire was taken somehow. Do you guys have a, a menu? Actually, it's uh, asparagus is one of the sides, right? You talked about several different ways. You oh, prepare. yeah. We, Washington asparagus is on throughout all of our menus at all of our 13 restaurants um, this time of year. You can find it in uh, main dishes, sides, uh, appetizers, hummus, whatever you might be. It's it's pretty hard to uh, to miss asparagus in, in our restaurants this time of year. You know, years ago I had, you know, as a crazy kid, I had an idea that I wanted to open up a store in Hong Kong called Taste Washington, right? And we would just bring Washington produce, apples and cherries and raspberries and asparagus and corn and lamb and you know everything that our state had to offer, and um, perhaps as we evolve into the the grapes, I mean, we have to have Washington asparagus that tastes Washington, right? And mm -hmm. we can showcase the Gruners and the Brutes and the Gewurztraminers, and perhaps some red wines too. Hey, folks, uh, uh, Alan Schreiber, Dr. Alan Schreiber, the executive director of the Washington Asparagus, and Zach Chabal, the director of wine education for uh, Tom Douglas Restaurants. Thank you so much for sharing the story and bringing some tasty food right here in Happy Hour Radio. Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we've got uh, lots more on the website, happyhourradio.net. Uh, there are a couple cool things coming up. It's uh, the middle of, uh, well, the beginning of this weekend, actually, in Walla Walla is um, spring release. And, of course, uh, you should get there because it'll cost you about 100 bucks round trip, but so will shipping from there. So you actually get to go there, have a good time, uh, check out all the wineries and all the people. But make a reservation for dinner because it could be a very busy night. Uh, but, of course, that's tonight anyway. 
anyway, and I'll be actually um, having a good time myself. Uh, also, the Kirkland Wine uh, Kirkland Wine Walk's coming up um, in June. It's uh, obviously on the Kirkland waterfront. They always have fun themes. You can check it out at seattleuncorked.com. I want to thank my guest, Matt Parrish, who... Uh, Worked for a lot of different wineries around the world and currently at Lula in the Mendocino County, uh, Mendocino uh, AVA. Their uh, Pinot, Peterson Vineyard Pinot Noir 2017 was delicious. Uh, so, Washington Asparagus, this is the month. Uh, tell us how you did it on Facebook, and we'll see every time you're out and about. Remember, life is always better with the designated driver. Cheers! <laughs> <laughs>